It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time selling interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? You're going to text us, send a text to 96000. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now, enter the single word message TRUST and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I couldn't be more amped up to talk with my guest today. Joining me for this sort of special sales kickoff episode of Accelerate is Anthony Iannarino, blogger extraordinaire, speaker, coach. Anthony is going to share with us some of his best advice for starting off your new sales year with a bang. So, Anthony, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks, Andy. It's funny you had this whole alliteration. So it's Andy and Anthony talking about accelerating <laughs> and amping up. That's right. That's <laughs> deliberate. I'm a, you know, practicing the poet within me here. <laughs> awesome. So let's sort of jump right into it. So what what's your personal sales resolution for 2016? I got to sell a book in 2016. So that's the biggest priority for me. And uh, it'll come in the midpoint of the year. But but that's the biggest one. And I'll go with another word for A. I think one of the things in both of my, my businesses are anchor accounts. I mean, these are what I would call dream clients. And I think that that's what most people should be spending their time on is the account that's going to make a difference and it's going to allow you to build a platform where you can build your business. And we spend too little time doing that because we like people who are receptive and we don't like people who are difficult to, uh, to get to make the commitment to meet with us. But that's really where all the action is. Well, so let's say somebody maybe thinks they might have an anchor customer, but they're not sure. I mean, how do they, how do they determine that? The, the one thing I would say is you want to look at it through the lens. It's not just how much money they spend because there's a lot of people who spend money on what you do, but it, they're not really a dream client for you or an anchor account because you're really not the right person to create value for them. For example, maybe they only care about lowest price, but that's not your business model. If that's what they care about, you can't deliver that. So they need to match up with you and they need to have the exact set of problems and challenges that you solve. And you have to look like their partner. You have to look like somebody who has the insights and the ideas that can help them move their business forward. And I think one one of the biggest changes, and we're at this time of the year where people are always asking about it's a new year. Um, and they always say, what's your, your prediction for what's going to happen? And I, I don't think anything changes very much in a year. But if we look at over the last decade, what's really changed, you have to have a lot more business acumen now. Business acumen is the new sales acumen. So great that you know how to overcome objections. Great that you've been taught to close. Great that you know how to prospect. 
But the biggest thing that's going to differentiate you is your ability to help the customer drive their business forward. That's what they're looking for. So you really have to have the ideas and the resources to help that customer grow. That's what they're looking for. That's their decision-making lens that they're looking at you through. And that's how you should be looking at them. Well, the fact is that we don't really do a very good job of hiring for business acumen. I mean, we saying a sales industry in general. I mean, it's still, you look at sales job descriptions and it still talks about, you know, extrovert, hunter, blah, 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 blah. And it seems to me like there's always been this misalignment between what the customer needs, which is sort of a, somebody who's curious, a problem solver, uh, as you said, a business acumen, you know, have some experience in the domain. How do we finally get those two reconciled? It's interesting. I think the first thing I would say for anybody who's hiring is stop just looking at the resume for somebody who has experience. And experience is great if it's true and it's real and you can measure that there's business acumen, that they have insight and situational knowledge. They understand, oh, when a customer has this situation, here's a few of the solutions that have worked for other people and how they should think about it. Instead, they just look at it and they check the box. Well, they've been selling for three years. That says nothing about what they know and how much value they create for the customer. So you have to test that before you can use this this heuristic, this shortcut of experience equals a good hire. And you know this and I know this. I know salespeople who have been selling for 20 years and haven't gotten better since their year one. Um, they're not getting better. They're not gaining more business acumen. They still think that it, it is the late 80s and they continue to sell the way that they used to sell and it's changed and they're, they're getting hurt because they're not making the change. And it really is about being truly consultative. And we like to throw around words like, you know, we want to hire salespeople who are trusted advisors. Okay, well, you need two parts of that, right? You need trust and then you need advice. And if they don't have those chops, if they can't sit down with the customer and say, when I look at your business through this lens, this is where I see your future, they're not going to be relevant or interesting to your 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 customers. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I used to, I guess, and you're right. I mean, experience, I guess, is, is a word actually that's fraught with difficulties as well. Because, you know, when I think about experiences, is I know people sort of default to how long somebody's been selling. But for me, the experience is just what you talked about. It's that business acumen that's dealt in this environment that can ask the right questions, deliver the value the prospect needs to move through their buying process. And you just used a key word is test. I mean, I work with clients all the time. We devise tests to be able to test that knowledge. I mean, what have you found as an effective way to be able to test for business acumen? I, I think that you want to give them the same kind of test that would replicate what the, the customer is going to give them. And that's a real world scenario. If a prospective customer in my market and I'm hiring you has this set of challenges, what, what are some of the, the ideas and the, the solutions that they should be looking at? What are some of the, the, the key indicators that would that would allow you to have a conversation where you could point to research. What are some of the experiences that you would see other people using that you would be able to share with them? And if they don't have those kinds of answers, um, and, and sometimes this is unfair if they haven't had some industry experience, but if, if you can't do that with them in your industry, ask them about their past industry. In your last job, what were the, the solutions that you came up with and what problems did they match to the customers? How did they see that problem? You want to test that because you need to know, do they really have the chops to sit face-to-face with your customer? And, and Andy, this is the biggest thing I tell people when they're hiring. You're not hiring for you. I know what you like. You like somebody you don't have to manage a lot, somebody you don't have to spend a lot of time training, somebody that you think has already got the experience that you don't have to take them from, from ground zero. 
But that's not what the customer likes. The customer likes somebody who has the real ability to help. You're hiring for the customer. You're giving these people to your customers when you hire them. So that's the lens that I like to look through. And so what does that customer want from them? Exactly. They want somebody who's going to learn their business. They want somebody that's going to be accountable for results. They want somebody who's going to look a lot like their manager, like somebody who's working on their team, coming up with the next idea and the next idea and then driving, helping them drive the results forward. But th- that's the lens that we should look at this through. Yeah, definitely. It has to be come from the perspective of the, the buyer, the customer that you're trying to serve. Yeah, I've written about this and I use sort of the expression as, you know, you'll, the question a customer will never ask is, hey, you know, Andy, uh, gosh, we really like your product and service, but your salesperson here is just not salesy enough. Could you send over somebody who's more salesy? Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're never going to ask you to send a, give you somebody who's more salesy. No, they want somebody who's more consultative. And knowledgeable. That's right. So how do we get that? This, this, so this is a, a big thing for 2016, I think, for and beyond, obviously. But, but how, do we, how do we cross this chasm, to borrow the term from Jeffrey Moore? How do we cross this gap, bridge this gap um, of knowledge, this knowledge gap that exists? Because you know, we've got lots of people in this business that you know, have, as you said, the skills, but don't have this intimate knowledge of the customer. If, if you're in a leadership role or a sales management role, you have to get a couple things done. So one, the first disadvantage that many companies are at now is that everybody works from home. And when everybody's working from home, we're not rubbing up against each other in a bullpen. We're not having these conversations that happen day to day when we're in the same office. So if you don't have that, you have to create that scenario. So how do you help people get business acumen? You've got to let people without experience spend time with people who have the experience. And they have to go out on calls, they have to sit, and they have to become mimics. That's how most good salespeople get started. They're mimicking what they've heard better salespeople say as they're learning and they're starting to understand. And I would tell you, if if you're a new rep or you're a rep in a new industry, your responsibility is to go on sales calls with more experienced people and make a list. What questions did they ask the customer And why did they ask that question? You need to write that down because it's your job to be learning this while you're sitting there. And then when the customer says something, write down that statement that the customer says and write down the questions. And then when you leave the call, you need to uh, interrogate the person you were on the call with and say, Andy, why did you ask them about what throughput meant? Why did you ask them that question? What answer were you expecting? When they gave that answer, they asked you this question. What, why were they trying to get at? What were they trying to get us to talk about when they asked that question? And you can learn really fast if you go into every sales call with the mindset of I'm here to be educated. And then the second thing, I did this personally as a young person. I learned business from my customers. And I would go in and ask them the question. When you say these words, I don't understand exactly what you're talking about. What does this mean to you? And help me understand your business. And People who care deeply about their business and what they're doing, they love that question. They're happy to teach you. They will explain everything to you because they want a partner who cares enough to learn their business. If you ask, they will educate you, and you can get smart much faster. You can get the learning curve. You can bend it much, much steeper in your direction and make it super fast if you go into it with that intention. Yeah, and it falls into a category of things that I talk about in terms of how sales reps invest in their own development. You know, it's not just, you used to point out, it's not just a matter of picking up a book and reading it, because that, that'd be great, right? It'd be great if a sales rep was reading, constantly reading a new book, because, you know, hey, the course of a year, they read 10, 12 new books, they learn so much more about selling than they know today. But it's also about investing, as you said, the time and the effort and the intellectual energy to go 
talk to customers, not only just do the ride-alongs, but go talk to your customers and learn something. Ask the questions. I think that selling is a lot like swimming. I mean, it, you have to be in the water to actually learn. And then you can read books uh, outside of that. And the books will give you context. So the next time you're in the water, you have new ideas and you have a new lens for what you're seeing. But you actually have to learn while you're in calls. And I think one of the things, one of the mistakes I think we make is we go into a sales call and we're just focused on getting the outcome. And so we have a single outcome. I want to get this information and I want to ask for another appointment. Okay, that's good. But your your personal outcome also has to include, I need to learn something here that's going to allow me to be a better rep in the future. And it's okay to ask questions. When somebody says something and you don't understand or you need greater depth, the more questions you ask, the more educated you're getting. And what happens, especially if you work in some vertical or some industry where you see the same problems over and over again, as you start getting this education, when you walk into the next customer, you've got a vocabulary that sounds like theirs. You've got insights and ideas that are the, the exact insights and ideas that they're concerned about. You've got experiences that you can share from other customers that benefit them and giving them proof that you have these ideas and that you know how to get the results and that you actually are somebody who does understand their business. But that, that learning curve, how long it takes you to do that is totally up to you. And you're right. It's not just about reading the books, although that, that should be something that you do literally every day. But it's reading the books and then going out and getting this new information and then looking at it through the lens of the books that you read so that you have more choices and more of an ability to create value for your customers when you're sitting face to face to them because that's where the battle's won and lost. But it seems like part of the issue here that, again, I think we should be addressing in 2016 and beyond is that this is about more than classroom training, right? I mean, it seems like the default is for so many companies, let's throw, you know, bring somebody in, we're going to throw everybody in a classroom, we'll give them a day, and then we think that they're spun up, right? And they're ready to go. And there's never this constant sort of continuous reinforcement that helps them adopt these new behaviors and integrate them into their selling. You're right. And it's easy to check the box. We provided them training and we provided them with insights. And how did we provide them with the insights? We gave them a slide deck. And so they have a slide deck. They can certainly show the customer that, and we train them on how to talk about it. And they've got the bullet points, um, but that's not—that's not. It's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Right. You Google is full of knowledge, but not necessarily wisdom. I jokingly say I've diagnosed my own illnesses using uh, WebMD off of Google, and I have ovarian cancer. <laughs> and when I go to my doctor, and how's that he, going? He he uh, he disagrees with me completely on my diagnosis. But uh, th that's the difference. So we think we know things, but it doesn't mean that we have it in the right context. And the only re way you get that context is by going out and talking to customers and rubbing up against their real issues and getting that experience. You don't really get the knowledge. The classroom training is much like reading a book. It gives you the context and it gives you a lens, but then you have to go out and see what that feels like in the real world before you actually understand how to do it. So the question is, how do we institutionalize this, this form of learning, this form of educating salespeople? Because I mean, it's all done, you know, sort of as a quasi-apprenticeship, yeah, you know, go do this, do this. But that's ever seemed to be part of an integrated plan that a sales team puts together at the beginning of the year say, okay, at least, and this is what I advise companies to do, but just, you don't see them doing it proactively as many times. It's, okay, we're going to have this type of, of learning process that goes on continually throughout the year. They're going to involve ride-alongs, mentoring, peer coaching, and so on. Even I like all of those ideas. I, I love the idea of riding with a better rep. I love the idea of having peer coaching. And I love the idea of a team huddle. I mean, so on Friday afternoon at three o'clock, 
everybody gets on a phone call and one salesperson leads the call and they're particularly good at prospecting. And you say, what are the words that you're using to prospect? Why is that resonating with customers? What's the sales call value proposition that you're selling that makes it so easy for them to say yes to you and no to us? And, and you make them share this with each other so that they're from week to week, there's a training module that's put together. And I know what happens when you talk about this to sales leaders. And so do you, Andy. They're like, you're going to take my people off the field and they're going to be in training and that's not where we make our money. But you have to sharpen the saw. And it doesn't need to be two hours or four hours or eight hours of training. You could do that in 30 minutes and have a really hard-hitting uh team huddle where everybody walks away with the ability to probably get unstuck in some area or an opportunity review where the lesson from that opportunity review about something like how do you get a hold of all the stakeholders that you need and get them in a room together, everybody can go back and look at their deals and say, I can immediately apply this next week and I can immediately report back when I talk to my manager about what actions I took and what my results were. I mean, you can build this really, really easy and you notch people up from week to week to week. In 2016, you should be better at the end of 2016 than you are at the beginning of 2016. And that's solely what actions you take and what your intentions are for your year. You don't have to have the same sales year over and over and over again, whether you're an individual contributor or whether you're a sales manager or a sales leader. Yeah. You just have to make sure you take deliberate actions and you've got a plan that you stick to that says, look, yeah, we're going to invest. I know we're taking people maybe out of the field for a little bit, but think of the payback. Right, as opposed to saying we're gonna get everybody together for a day or two days, you know, once, maybe twice a year, we're gonna take, as you said, a huddle. We'll do 15 minutes a day. We're gonna have one important learning that takes place once a day. Boy, by the end of the year, people are gonna be substantially better. It, it gives them choices, and this is the thing I think about the world that we live in now, in what I call the disruptive age. Every change comes faster than the last change. The changes are deeper and, and more. Uh, systemic. So we have all these things going on in this world that we live in. You need to get incrementally better, faster, and you have to try to keep pace with this. And it's a really, really difficult race to run. But 15 minutes a day with that one new insight means now I've seen this scenario. Now I've heard five other people talk about this scenario. And now I know what my choices are about how to get this outcome. And before that, I thought I only had one choice. And the reason that I'm stuck is because I keep trying to do the same thing over and over again. And I keep getting the same result. But now I've heard I have three choices. So I'm going to try choice B and then I'm going to try choice C and see if I can get through this block. And that's how people get better. They start to recognize that there's more than one way. And especially in sales, there's lots of ways to get to yes. It's almost like climbing a mountain. You can climb from lots of different sides. Might be steeper in some sides, might be a little bit easier of a walk on the other side. But they need to have all of those choices available to them. Right. And I think the key, the key word you used in there, which is for me is very important, is incremental, right? We're going to incrementally learn in small bites as we go through the year so that you can absorb it, as you said, make a choice with the ones that you think fit your style and integrate those into your process. And, and you know the stats probably better than I do. I'll just make them up. But it's something like a week <laughs> later, they retain 30%. Two weeks later, they retain 20%. And four weeks later, they retained 0.0% of whatever they had in the one-day training, right? Well, yeah, I just heard the stats from a, another guest I interviewed earlier today. And it, it, yeah, it's not quite that bad, but it's essentially that bad, yeah. It's, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. So, all right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, more with my guest, Anthony Iannarino, as we talk about how to ramp up your sales effort for 2016. Hi, this is Andy. 
Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Okay, we're back with Anthony Iannarino. You can check out Anthony online at thesalesblog.com. You should be reading that every day or subscribing to his weekly newsletter as I do. So, uh, Anthony, let's talk about getting ready for 2016. We've talked a little bit about training. we talked a little bit about hiring the right people, how you focus your hiring. When it comes to actually sort of the selling, how do you, how do you identify those areas that really sort of need refreshing, like your, your messaging or your process, uh, maybe even your metrics that you're using to manage your team? I would say there's probably, if I were telling somebody, here's what I would want you to do to, to really kick off 2016 strong, I would probably break it down to four big pieces. And the messaging and what needs refresh should come out in this. I want every salesperson to start with a list of targeted strategic accounts that they're calling on. And I, I want that for a very important reason. I don't want them to do what's easy. I don't want them to call on people who are just receptive. I want them to call on the really hard accounts to win that are going to really change the results of the whole company. And they'll change the results for the salesperson. They'll change the results for the manager. The sales manager can make their number, and the company will generally do better. So the first thing I would say is you need to pick your targets at the beginning of the year. Some of them will carry over from prior years. And I would tell you one place to look for these. If you competed for a company's business in the last 18 months and lost that, that's still a target for you. And what happens is we lose and they think, well, they signed a three-year contract. We have no idea when they become dissatisfied enough to change. It could be any time. It could be three years. It could be 18 months. For most of us, we just give up and go away until they decide that they're going to reach out to us again at some point in the future. So the first thing I would say is you really need to pick your targets in 2016. Who are you going to win in this year? And I like the number 60. I've said this before because it's 15 targeted accounts that get communicated with every single week. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a couple other points. The second point I would say is you need a pursuit plan. And sometimes we're, we're sort of myopic and we, we just have this very narrow view of what we're doing. The pursuit plan might mean that I'm going to have multiple people within my organization calling on multiple people in their organization, that I've got lots of different approaches. I'm going to try lots of ways to get in. I'm going to ask existing clients to, to, to introduce me, to give me a reference. I'm going to be super creative. And what's the pursuit plan going to look like over the course of that year? Who's going to call? What relationships are we going to try to open? What are we going to leverage to help get an, open, uh, an opening so that we can create an opportunity inside that account? And then I'll give you three and four real quick, and then you can press me on all of them, which I'm sure you will. <laughs> you need a nurture toolkit, and this is where you start getting into your messaging. What, what's the message that you're going to give them? Because if you're, you're calling and saying, hey, Andy, this is Anthony Anarino with XYZ Widgets. Love to stop by, introduce myself and my services to you. We help companies that look just like you. They've heard that. They're going to resist that message because everybody said that for years. You need to have a message that talks about the value that you create. And you need language for, for phone calls that talk about, 
these are the three problems that we're helping our clients face now. Here are the three problems that you're going to face in 2016, and I'm going to share with you some insights, whether you ever buy from me or not, that are going to help you make better decisions around that. You need white papers and case studies, and you need things that are going to nurture that relationship where you continually feed the contacts within your prospective client real actionable insights that they can take action on whether or not they hire you. And I know this makes people go crazy because they think, well, those are our best ideas. They're mostly known. They're mostly not used because people are really bad at what we do. Um, most people don't think of it through this, this lens of nurturing. But if you want people to know you as a value creator and a trusted advisor, you've got to have those things. They've got to be able to see it and think that that's who you are. And then the, the last thing I would say about this is you really do, and you mentioned this in your, your setup question, I would want real key performance indicators. And I know this is old school, but a lot of people don't do this work. How many clients do you have to win? What's the average deal size? How many appointments do you have to have in a week to create those many opportunities? What's the revenue and the profit goal by month and by quarter? What activity indicates that you're getting closer to that? And, and I think that those are the metrics. You don't need... I've seen dashboards that have 64 little charts on a dashboard. It doesn't mean anything to me. You need to pick the ones that really are your key performance indicators. They suggest that you're moving towards success. And then you need to monitor those and say, how's my plan doing at driving these results for me? Right. Yeah, and I look at that from even take it down another level is when work with companies on creating their sales plans is, we start with what I call, everybody, the individual reps, we calculate what we call their lead deficit. So we're going to identify through a calculation, I have a specific number of opportunities they're going to need to develop in order to meet their number in the year. And then from that, as you said, you break out the activity levels required just from prospecting and so on in order to reach that. So you make it just unambiguously clear to someone at the start of the year, this is what we need to achieve, not only from an outcome, but also from an activity level. Yeah. And, you know, everyone hates activity because they think, well, I'm being micromanaged. And what if I can do better than that? If you can do better than that, do better than that. No sure. one's going to no one's going to ask you about your activity if you're throwing up numbers. It, it, it just doesn't happen. They're going to ask you about your activity when you don't have any and when you're not getting the outcomes. But the, the, you're right. It's all outcomes are the result of some activity that you've taken. And you need to understand what that activity is. How can you plan How your do, day? How, how, exactly. How do you get these opportunities? Where are you going to invest your time? And the more clear you are on that and the more you block your time for it, the easier it is. Yeah, and I think one of the things you bring up too, and I think you're bringing up with the list, I interpret this way, with the targeting your strategic accounts is that, again, it depends on the business you're in, but, but in general, I think pipelines are too big, right? Is that they're not doing a good enough job of qualifying the opportunities that they're working. As a consequence, too many reps carry too many prospects. And... You know, what I find is, you know, as you get more adept and more skilled at qualifying and really targeting and delivering a great value message, your coverage of your pipelines actually be substantially less. And I see pipelines that are full of non-opportunities where winning the business would make no significant impact to the customer or to the business. And they're really more of uh, a lead than a real prospect. They're not that deeply engaged. They don't have the commitments. But it does give a salesperson cover, and it gives their sales manager cover that the pipeline's got more opportunities in it than they, they need to be able to make their numbers. So when they get called on to report 
they go, I've got more than enough to make my number, even though you and I, I think, both have the experience of seeing pipelines that are full and companies that still aren't making their number. And it's because you're right. The quality of the opportunity is not good. And if you were spending your time with better quality opportunities, you would be producing better results. And so we go to who's receptive instead of who's the right target for us. And and you really need to start with the target. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with a CEO client a couple of days ago was enthusing about the fact that they had, you know, 300% pipeline coverage on their, their number. And I said, but you're still not hitting your number. You know, what? let's go look at the pipeline. You know, they haven't really examined that to them as just quantity as opposed to quality. I had a customer with 400% coverage that couldn't make their number. <laughs> Do I hear 500? Do I hear 500? <laughs> We're bidding. I'm sure that number's out there somewhere. Somebody's got it. <laughs> Well, good. Well, let's let's move on to some sort of rapid-fire questions I have for you to sort of end up. We've sort of covered some of these, but perhaps not. So, what's the, in your mind? What's the one most important thing a new or inexperienced sales rep should focus on to improve in 2016? Understanding their business, understanding their customers' business, and understanding the industry-specific challenges in those businesses, so that they have real talking points where they can create value. I think that's the number one thing. You need to become consultative. Okay. What's the one thing an experienced rep should focus on improving in 2016? Here's the challenge with experienced reps. I'm going to say this. It's going to sting a little bit for some people, and I apologize. you got to get back to prospecting. It's great that you now have the business acumen and you're really good in front of the customer. Get in front of more customers. You've got the chops. You're the person that your company needs sitting in front of more people. And I know you want somebody to do your lead generation for you, but you're the best lead generation person you have because when you call, you sound different from everybody else because you do have the chops and the experience to create value. You're the most important asset in that regard. And chances are, earlier in your career, you got to where you were by being good at prospecting. True. (laughs) And so the irony is always, the good ones seem to, seem to want to gravitate away from it as they become better at doing it. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. So what one thing are you working to personally improve on in 2016? Is it sales related or otherwise? Otherwise. Otherwise, I am uh, lifting weights like the devil. So my, my personal fitness goals are uh, around my energy level, my strength, my flexibility, and then I'm doing a lot of stuff around meditation right now. So those are my big, my big personal improvement levers right now. And so are you want to become like a competitive power lifter? No, no, <laughs> I don't. I want to, um, you and I started this before we hit record. I want to live a long time and I want to be, um, I want to be able to live to be very old and look and feel like I'm very young. And that requires flexibility and strength and endurance. And you have to work on all those things what if about, you want to be there. What about hair? I have uh, no use. I do not <laughs> want to be weighted down by follicles at all. I'm trying to make sure that I'm as follicle-free as possible. All right. Very good. Streamlined. Streamlined. Are you swimmer? <laughs> no. Okay. Too bad. So what's your sort of audacious goal for 2016? Mm, I don't know if I want to name it here. I want to sell a lot of books in 2016, and uh, I, I want to help a lot of people. Okay. You can tell me your audacious goal offline. Uh, so last question. What what book are you reading now that, that's really influencing you? 
I'm reading Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. She's the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, mm-hmm. and I cannot re- recommend any book higher than this. It, it is about creativity, and it's about um, facing your fears and sharing your message. And it is, it's one of the most important books I've ever read, and I bought a copy for all my children. Wow. The Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Definitely a terrific book. Definitely going to check that out. Well, good. Well, Anthony, I want to thank you as always for joining us. Thank you, Andy. So tell people how they can find out more about you. The best place to find me is thesalesblog.com. And the best thing to do when you get there is to sign up for the Sunday newsletter. And that's thesalesblog.com forward slash newsletter. Yeah. Like I said before, I get it. I read it religiously every week. So it's a good, good idea. So remember, friends, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And certainly subscribing to this podcast because it's an easy way to do that because then you'll make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Anthony Anarino, who share their experience and expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.